Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Check now, check now. Must have went off when I stuck in my pocket. So, hey, if you're new with us uh, this morning, um, uh, we're going to invite you to come back again. We give a a three-week challenge. If you're here for the first time, we challenge you to give us three weeks. If New Vision is not the place for you, we'll help you find a church. Um, There's a QR code in the front, or you can go to the Welcome Center of Church. We have a gift for you we want to bless you with for being here for the first time, and so we want to offer that. That's the first thing. Second thing, guys, this morning, we do have some baptisms. Some people want to be baptized today, Um, so we want you to join us uh, right outside here after service, and you can do be baptized. Maybe if you've never been baptized, you're welcome to join us, but we have some here. I know we have a big baptism coming this summer with a barbecue in the park or at the beach and stuff. We do that also. But I just want to let you know that we will have a meal after church uh, um, with all that. And guys, obviously the men's ministry is happening this next weekend. Um, we have a, a retreat next week. If you haven't signed up, men, it's still got, we still have room. And next week we do have Family Sunday, so we'll have the kids in here next week in the sanctuary joining us for Family Sunday. So if you have your Bibles, open up to John the 20th chapter. John chapter 20 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 24 to 31, and the title of my message this morning is, I Have Some Doubts. I Have Some Doubts. Have you ever been like outside, maybe in your patio outside, and you have an evening dinner, and you're trying to have the food served, and everything's going on, and then there's this fly that kind of buzzes around you, and you're always shooing it away, and you're eating, and you're always just trying to shoot this fly away because it's just being annoying, Right? I think that's how people deal with doubt sometimes. It's like that fly that buzzes around you and it's just annoying and you keep trying to shoo it away. And that's how people see doubt sometimes. In this passage this morning, you're going to discover that Thomas has some doubts, right? And if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we have our own doubts sometimes about faith, about God, about truth, all these things, and some people believe that doubt is not compatible with faith, but we need to understand this morning that the presence of doubt is not the absence of faith. The presence of doubt is not the absence of faith. In fact, it's human to doubt. Great men and women doubted in the scriptures. I think of Abraham and Sarah, who God promised to give a child to supernaturally. They had their doubts, so... Abraham slept with Hagar, the wood from Egypt that brought on Ishmael was not the plan, but they doubted. But Abraham is a man of faith. I think of Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk in chapter one who wrote, if you read chapter one, was a little doubtful about God. He says, God, don't you see all that's going around, all the violence, all the corruption, all this? Where are you, God? Do you not see this? He expresses some doubts. Even in the Gospel of John, we see John the Baptist, though he's the one that said, behold, the Lamb of God who take away the sin world. Later on, he confronts King Herod, gets thrown in prison for his faith. He's about to die. He sends messengers to Jesus. Said, um, are you the one? <laughs> because I'm about to die. He had some doubts. As you enter into chapter 20, we know that this is Easter Sunday morning. And by this time, Jesus has already appeared to some women. He's already appeared to the the disciples, yet Thomas was not present at the time. 
as you read the story, as we get into the story, we know that after the appearance of Jesus to the disciples, the 10, because Judas has already gone, he's hung himself, Thomas is not present, they come back and testify to Thomas that Jesus has risen, that we have seen Jesus. And he responds with some skepticism, with some doubts. He's not buying it. And yet a week later, Jesus will have a personal conversation with doubting Thomas. Let's read the passage, and starting at verse 24 of chapter 20. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his, unless I see in his hands the prints of the nails and, and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them and Jesus came Jesus came in the door being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hands here. Put into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly Jesus did many signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by leaving you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, let me just we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Father, we pray as we journey through this passage of dealing with the, our own doubts, Lord, Father, may you minister to our hearts. Father, may you speak to us this morning, Lord. May you just affirm some things we need to know. May you reveal some things we need to take in to help us overcome. Lord, I know your Holy Spirit still speaks. I know your Holy Spirit still moves. I know your Holy Spirit still convicts. And so I'm praying this morning that you do this great and mighty work. Speak to us this morning by your Spirit. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said... The first thing we're going to look at this morning is this, that Thomas doubted the testimonies of the disciples. We see that in verse 24 and 25, right? It's still Easter Eve. Thomas' friends or his disciples have announced Jesus' resurrection. But what I love about the scriptures is it deals with the human heart. It reveals the nature of humanity. So the Bible doesn't cover up the doubts of believers because honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, doubt is just trying to work things out. That's all it is, right? Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is. Doubt says, I'm trying to believe. It's, it's like the prayer of the father who asked Jesus to heal his child. And he asked, do you believe? And he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. That was his prayer. Doubt says, I can't believe. But unbelief says, I won't believe. That's the difference. To be in doubt is to be double-minded. To be unbelief is to be single-minded. In fact, without the freedom of doubt, there would conversely be no freedom to believe. So doubt is real, right? 
And what we see here, first of all, is that Thomas is absent when Jesus appears before the disciples. Look at verse 24. It says, now Thomas called the twin. One of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. Remember, we studied this last week. We looked at verses 19 to 23 about Jesus' appearance to the disciples and, and speaking to them. And Thomas is not presence. Why was it Thomas there? Where was Thomas? The scripture never says where he is, but I can only imagine he's grieving over the, the death of Jesus. He's isolated himself in his grief. It says, Thomas the twin. Thomas was his Hebrew Arabic name. Didymus was his Greek name. Both of them meet, mean the twin. So that tells me, it leads me to believe that he had a twin, a twin brother or a twin sister. Maybe Thomas is grieving and isolating himself, or maybe he's going to spend time with his other brother or other sister somewhere. We do not know, but he is not present with the disciples at this moment. And so we know that his absence when Jesus appears to disciples in the previous verses. He just missed the Sunday service when Jesus appeared with them. He missed the blessings. He missed the gathering. It must have been a diff difficult week for Thomas. It must have been a hard week for him processing the death of Jesus. But we notice that Jesus is going to appear a week later. You know what that reminds me? Because what's going on here is that at the time that Jesus is meeting with the, the ten, they, they believe there may have been other disciples there, the men from the road of Emmaus and the women might have even been there, that he bestows blessings upon the, the disciples, right? He's, he's beginning to mention five gifts. We looked at them that last week. We looked at the fact that he said, peace be with you. He, he, he offered them peace. He, he offered them proof. Hey, look at my hands. Jesus did the very thing Thomas is asking. Well, look at my hands. He's, he, he, he's not only offered them proof, he's, he gave them purpose. You're going to go out and proclaim. He's, he's given power by the Spirit. And then he says, you've got the message to pardon that Jesus will forgive you for your sins. He, he, he began, Jesus began to bestow gifts upon God's people here. But you know what happens is the very thing that Thomas asked for, he missed because Jesus had already given it. You know what? When we don't come together as a community, when we miss church, you miss out the blessings of what God has for you. You miss out the, the things that you need. You don't know what this week's going to hold for you. And you gathering this morning is God preparing you for this next week, for the blessings and the strength and the things you need to be energized for what you're going to face this next week. Maybe if Thomas would have showed up on that Sunday, he might have been strengthened that week when he was grieving or going through it or going through the difficulties. But just like Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, some made it a habit not to gather. Don't make that your habits. Don't make it your habit to maybe show up once a month. Don't make that your habit because some made that a habit and they're going to miss out on the very blessings that God has for them. We have to be disciplined disciples and followers of Jesus. And he's, he's basically missing out on the blessings that God has for him. Because isolation, isolation will only produce a defeated spirit. But when we gather to hear God's word, it discharges our doubt 
by the washing of the truth is God's word that will defeat doubt. So we see that first thing here is that Thomas is absent. But here what we see next in verse 25, we see Thomas' agnosticism before the disciples. Look at 25. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the prints of the nails and put my fingers in the prints of his nails and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. That's pretty emphatic. Agnosticism is not atheism. Agnosticism is another word for, I don't know if it's the truth. I don't know what the truth is. I don't know what I believe. I don't know if there is a God. Uh, agnosticism is, I have some doubts. Atheism is disbelief in God. I do not believe in a God. Agnosticism is another word for skepticism. And we see this in Thomas. We see his skepticism. We might battle with some of that this morning as followers of Jesus. Thomas had his doubts, and he, he states that in verse 25. I won't believe unless I see the proof. He was not easily convinced unless he sees Jesus himself. <laughs> now, I mentioned last week, and I, I think I need to repeat this again, because we're looking at Thomas in the context of this passage, but the other disciples had the same problem. They struggled with their own doubts. We read that in Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 38, right? That's why Jesus showed up <laughs> to show them the hands in his body. That's why he showed up in the verses of 19 to 23 when Thomas was right not there. That's why he's doing the very thing that's going to happen with Thomas. Just Thomas missed out on it. But Thomas's skepticism labeled him as a doubter, right? He got a rap sheet. We gave him the nickname for his actions, Doubting Thomas. But when you look out throughout the scriptures, sometimes one little thing can mark us, right? We know Judas as the betrayer. We know Peter as the denier, right? Think of maybe some major events in our histories or sporting events that we could think of a one event. The boxer Hearns, no mas, no mas. You remember for those years ago, he watched barking, boxing. One event, when he threw in the towel in the fight, he didn't want to fight, he threw it in, was marked. Right? We know historically all these situations of one little mistake marks us. But James Brown, he's an author and writer, says, the worth of a man must be measured by life, not by a failure under a singular or particular trial. It's easy to find faults in others instead of seeing God working in the lives of people. In fact, Thomas will make a confession of faith when he encounters Jesus, but right now, he's just going through a valley. People go through valleys. They're going through difficulties. They're going through trials, right? I want to take a little side note here. What are some factors? What are some situations that produce doubt in us? How, how about just our personality? Our personality factor, right? Thomas was a doubting believer who was slow to believe. He was a disciple who had a tendency to walk by sight and, and not walk by faith. In fact, 
He was a pessimist by nature. Metaphorically, we call him a twin. Metaphorically, he had his, his ups and his downs. He's a guy that always looked at the negative side of opportunities for God's work. A pessimist sees difficulties in every opportunity, and he looks for obstacles instead of for answers. John 11, we know the story. He was studied the resurrection of Lazarus. Jesus says, we got to go. And they're like, they know by going, they could die. And what does Thomas say? Let's just go and die, right? Let's just go die. Let's just, just, that's it. It's the end. When, he, when, he, when, when Jesus is with the disciples in John 14 in the upper room and he's giving this discourse, he says that I go that another would come. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. I got to go. And Thomas says, where are you going? We don't even know how to get there, Jesus. Right? I almost fell off the stage. Right? So he, he has his moments, right? We, we label Downing Thomas, but Peter had his moments, right? He was compulsive, running his mouth. He struggled with faith and doubt. He was on a, a boat when a storm came in and Jesus walked on the water. And, Is that you, Jesus? Faith, come out. Peter steps out of the boat, walks on water, storm hits, doubt. He sings, faith and doubt mixed together. We see that. Philip, the disciple, same thing, right? He had his moments. He's there feeding the 5,000. What do we have, Jesus says? There's Peter, the calculator. We don't have enough money to feed all these people. Doubt. Some of us are the calculators in our nature, <laughs> our personality, like, oh, this can't work out because the numbers don't add up. Let me tell you, the kingdom isn't about numbers. It's about miracles. The kingdom is not about numbers. It's about miracles. And we could tabulate. We cannot do the things we do in this church without miracles. Come on, come on. But we're calculators. Boop, boop, boop. Right? And so our personalities can be, can be prone to doubts. How about we prohibit, we're prohibited by knowledge? We're prohibited by knowledge. We think we need all the answers to belief. Right? Let me tell you, life is a mystery. Come on. And we don't have all the answers. In fact, knowledge, education, science, philosophy can't answer all the questions we have. Solomon tried to get all his questions and doubts answered in his life when he went on a journey in the book of Ecclesiastes. His conclusion, it's all vanity. Fear God and obey his commandments for this is everyone's duty. And then he writes in Proverbs, which he also wrote that book, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understandings, acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your path. So even our knowledge can bring about doubts. Oh, what if, what if this happens? Or what about this? Or what about that? There's some things we don't have answers for. In fact, Paul writes, I see it through a glass with fog. I, 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 I can't see everything. <laughs> some of us might see the glass is half full. Some see it as half empty. It's our perspective. How about well, another factor? How about pain and suffering? We have doubts because we see pain and suffering. How can there be a God if there's pain and suffering, I look at the famine, I look at the wars, I look at the sickness, I look at the violence. We could look outside and see all these things and say, how can there be a God? 
But let me tell you, the enemy is working through these things to bring doubt about God in the midst of this fallen world. We can look out instead of look up and be discouraged and bring doubts by all that we see around us. How about prayers that are unanswered, right? I prayed for the sick. I prayed for my parents that were sick. I prayed for provision for my family. I prayed for help in time. And I got no answers. I got no relief. You made promises and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And all I know is loneliness, depression, and fear. That's maybe how you feel. Maybe some of that is even out of our own disobedience because in Psalm 66 says that God will not hear our prayers if we had iniquity in our hearts. Maybe our prayers are not answered because of sin. And because of sin, we lose intimacy and power and fellowship with God because when we step out of bounds of God, out of his ways with God. I don't know if you've ever been to the shopping mall where you go shopping, you have a cart and they have those wheel locks. You use them, right? But as soon as you go off a certain premise or off the premise because you want to take it, it locks the wheel up. It stops you like, whoop, whoop. You're like, oh, I can't take the cart, right? Because the cart was, was meant to have a function in a certain area or a certain boundary. But when we go outside those boundaries, we don't move forward. We don't have no power. We don't have use. And sometimes maybe the operations of things are outside the boundaries that we've stepped out of. Disobedience. So disobedience produces and takes away our purpose. Loss of purpose leads to doubt. <laughs> How about psychological? How about our emotions? Unless we feel and touch and hear and see, we will not believe. Right? Some base their faith on feelings and not on the facts or truth. Now, don't get me wrong. I think God gave us emotions. God gave us feelings. We're, we're called to taste and find that is good. We're, we're called to delight in the Lord. But our salvation is based on truth and not how I feel in the moment. But we can have our doubts because of the way we feel. That's, that's a scary place to be because one minute you feel like you're with Jesus, next minute you feel like you're so apart. One minute you feel like you're in heaven, next minute you feel like you're going to hell. That's scary. That's scary. So we got to be careful of our emotions and our feelings in the moments. The enemy will feed on your feelings. So here's my challenge because I'm not talking about outside the church. I'm talking inside the church. Okay. He's talking to the believer. He's talking to Thomas. He's a disciple, been following Jesus. And the time been following for three and a half years and they're dealing. Thomas is dealing with doubt after he's seen all the miracles and all the things that God had done. And there's people I know, there's some of you probably struggling with these very issues here this morning. So how do we respond to those going through doubt as a church? Doubts is just essentially questions. We're trying to work out things in our head and in our heart and in our mind. But when we look at all the factors, suffering raises them, right? And enemy sows them and faith invites them. God is inviting Thomas to him in the midst of his doubt. I love that about Jesus. Bring it on. Come on with your doubts, with everything. If people say they have no doubts, I doubt it. 
Paul encourages us, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. In fact, Jesus' half-brother, Jude, the half-brother Jesus wrote, show mercy to those who doubt. You know why he said that? Because Jude didn't believe who Jesus was. <laughs> he was the half-brother of Jesus. He experiences God and his brother's mercy and even in the midst of his own doubts. We don't condemn the doubters. We journey with them. And that's the way Jesus started with Thomas, right? He's giving him a jump, right? His spiritual batteries have died. He needs a jump in the faith. I love that. That's what God does. Amen? So we see the, 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 he, that Thomas hasn't received the message of the disciples. We see that he's, he's absent here. We see his, his absent. We see his, his, his skepticism, his, his Gnosticism. Here's the second thing here. Thomas' doubts were defunct by Jesus' appearances. Appearance. We see that in 26 to 29. Tim Keller, the famous pastor out of New York City, wrote this. A faith without some doubt is like a human body without some antibodies. When you, when you, know, when you go to the doctors and, and, and you get vaccinated, you get antibodies to help your body fight off defense or disease. These antibodies help fight infection when the body is in danger. It actually strengthens the body. Our doubts is actually the antibodies that help us strengthen our faith. You see, doubt is faith under attack. Faith needs to be present, present for doubt to exist. So, so what is doubt? Doubt is really a rite of passage that every one of us has to go through to grow in our faith. So it is, it is healthy to question the things of God. It's healthy to do that because it motivates us to see Christ and to seek Christ. So guys, you know I like to give you some homework, right? Sometimes. Here's your homework. Go home today and read Psalm 73. How did Asaph battle doubt? I want to get into it, but you can go home and read that this afternoon, right? But I love this. Jesus greeted doubting Thomas with peace. Look at 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them and Jesus came, the door being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Here again, the disciples would have been familiar with this greeting because it just happened a week before, <laughs> right? Jesus comes in and he's greeting the group with peace. I love it. It says eight days later, eight days would have been the following Sunday. Guys, Jesus resurrected on Sunday. We see them meeting on a Sunday. Eight days later, they're meeting again on a Sunday. That's why we gather on Sundays because it's resurrection day. But also the eight, there's, there's, there's meaning behind numbers. The number eight represents new beginning. He's gonna start a new beginning with Thomas, a new start with Thomas. We're gonna see the same thing with Peter in chapter 21. He's going to start a new beginning with Peter when, about his own denial and restoration. See, God is, always has new beginnings for us. We may have fallen short. We may have made a mistake. We may have done a lot of things, but God always has a new beginning with us. He always has a new start with us. Jesus doesn't change who he is. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's gathering. He's doing this great work, right? The only difference this week is Thomas is present, where last week he wasn't. 
Why is this important, this gathering, this coming of Thomas? Because in verse 25, it says, he told or said to him, speaking to Thomas, the word in the Greek he told means that he continued to tell them. I could only imagine that during that week, the disciples would keep knocking on the door. Hey, Thomas, man, you gotta come. Thomas, we miss you. Thomas, you weren't there last week. Thomas, we saw Jesus. Tom, Thomas, let me tell you all that we heard. Tom, and they just kept knocking on Thomas. Guys, we just finished Easter, and I challenged you about who's your one to invite, right? But don't make that a program. Make that personal. What I mean by that, the knocking doesn't stop. The inviting doesn't stop. The initiating doesn't stop. Whether it's a message on messaging through Facebook, or whether it's a call, or whether it's a text, whether it's an email, whatever it is, we still keep reaching out. We still keep blessing. We still keep engaging. We still keep inviting. But we see again Jesus showing his deity as he enters into the room. It says that the doors were shut. They're shut again, right? Yet Jesus appears. We see his, his Godhead. His, his, he enters the door when the doors are locked. It's a kind of a repeat performance because that just happened the week before. The doors were shut, and now Jesus is doing the same thing. He finds the doors shut, right? Let me tell you something. Faith is still being worked out by the disciples even after seeing Jesus the week before. Like, even experienced Jesus coming through the door, why would they have the doors locked? Because they were still a little bit afraid. They were still a little bit afraid. Guys, we are a work in process. God is still working out those doubts in us. He's still working out those things that we're still working through. And yet, here Jesus... Disposition is still peace. He's not upset. He doesn't bring a ruler out or the law or the scriptures and slaps Thomas on the knuckles. This greeting just wasn't a reminder for the 10, but for Thomas who missed it the week before. God's mercy is always being extended. Here's another opportunity. What he speaks is the fruit of his lips. It's smooth. It's it's soothing. I love that. God's word does that. It's, it's smooth. It's soothing for us. It works in us. It's the sweet hyssop that he gives us for the healings in our, in our life. He needed that. Thomas needed that for a moment. And what does God do? He's beginning to remove the doubt out of Thomas's name. I want you to hear. He begins to remove the doubt out of Thomas's name. Look at 27 and 20. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hands here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to my Lord and my God. Mm. First thing in verse 27, we see Jesus' compassion. Look at his character. We see the, his character of, of compassion, right? Jesus turns his attention, the, 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 the disciples are there, but he turns his attention to Thomas because in some way, Thomas is seeking some attention, right? You know those kids uh, who throw a fit when they don't get their way, right? Thomas had one of those moments when he said, I won't believe unless I see you. I'm having a fit. He had a fit. He was demanding. He's making demands of Jesus. Jesus, I want you to perform for me. I won't believe unless. And he, he gets, he's letting us know. Jesus ain't upset by that. <laughs> he ain't upset. You might have prayers like that. God, where are you? Show me. Show me your proof. 
That's what I did in my prayer when I received Jesus. Lord, be real for me. I'm giving you 30 days. If you ain't real, I'm walking. That was my prayer. You know my story. God loves those prayers, man. Because you know what it does? I'm going to show myself. What are you going to do with it? If you ask it, what are you going to do with it when I show myself? Don't be asking for something if you ain't going to respond. And, and he's doing that. And Jesus responds to Thomas' demands. And Jesus wasn't present when he made that demand. So even Jesus knew what he needed. Jesus knew his heart. He, knew, he knows, the Bible says, he knows before we even ask. He knows our prayers before we even ask. And God knew Thomas's heart. And yet he still saw a wounded kid, a wounded disciple. We see God's character playing out here, right? The Bible says when we are faithless, he remains faithful. It was the faith of four men that dropped a man on a pellet that Jesus said, your sins forgiven and are healed. He, he's inviting Jesus, invites John in. He's inviting John and say, John, come here. Look at my scarred body. Notice the details. Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Touch them. Touch my side, Thomas. Thomas made a request and Jesus is answering it. <laughs> He's answering his prayer. I think Thomas, in his mind, will remember this moment for the rest of his life. This is his moment. This is his Damascus Road moment like Paul had, right? This, this moment will lead to his confession. And yet... Jesus is not blasting Thomas for his lack of faith. He's not scolding him for his abandonment. Jesus is compassionate and loving him back into the faith because his kindness leads men to repentance. He doesn't break a bruised reed. Ezekiel prophet says, I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up the broken and strengthen that which is weak. He loved him with care. I love that about Jesus. You know, they say that the church hurts its wounded or shoots its wounded. I remember last summer when Julie and I were in sabbatical, we were flying back from London to New York to go see our daughter, and they lost my luggage. I just showed up at the airport in New York with the clothes on my back, and I was heading from there to, to Mexico to be with my family, and I knew that if I sent my luggage to Mexico, I probably would never see it. So I decided to say, send it to the Hyden's Pastor Brent's house. We'll, we'll pick it up later. So when I got back a couple of weeks later, my luggage was there. But when I received my luggage, it was, it had gone through some things, <laughs> to say the least. It was cracked. The wheels were broken. Everything was jacked up on it. I'm like, obviously the luggage handlers weren't handling with care. Right? They were just throwing the luggage in and racking it all up. Guys, that's how we can handle wounded people, somebody in the church. We just don't handle them with care. We just throw them around. We just cast them aside. Jesus didn't do that with Thomas. He handled with care, right? Thomas, Thomas, do not be unbelieving, but believe, <laughs> right? I'm taking your nickname away. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving you a new identity right? Doubt no more. He's correcting Thomas gently, right? Galatians says, 6.1 says, when you correct a brother or sister, do it 
gently. But I think the words of Jesus just cut to the heart. We know that Hebrews speaks about God's word as in living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the divisions of souls and spirit and joints and marrows and the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word is just cutting through Thomas's heart. Thomas, just believe. It's as simple as that. It's not complicated. I'm not going to make you jump through all these hoops. You're not going to go to 10 weeks of believing class. You're not going to go through 10 weeks of baptism class. Believe and be baptized for the remission of your sins. It's really simple. It's easy. I'm not making it work, right? And out of this love and out of this gentleness, out of this compassion, Thomas makes his confession. We see that in 28, right? In the presence of the disciples, he confessed Jesus as God. I think in the moment he gets this revelation, that's my prayer for you if you're not here, if you don't know, in that moment you just get that revelation of who Jesus is. And at this moment, Thomas is broken by his unbelief. He has a, a contrite spirit. David speaks about that. This is what the Lord requires, that we have a contrite spirit. I think this confession is important to understand because we have to understand the God that we worship. We have to understand the God. We have to know the God that we worship. A lot of people say they believe in God. I had a conversation a week ago with somebody sharing the gospel with them. Oh, I believe in God. And I asked her, who's your God? I don't know. I just believe in God. I said, oh, who do you worship? I worship God. Well, who's the God? They couldn't define. We have a God that we worship. But this confession of Thomas would have been blasphemous to the Jewish community because they didn't see Jesus as the Messiah. What, did he, what was his confession? My Lord and my God. Right? Notice the two. My Lord and my God. He made it personal. Underline my if you have your Bible. Now, there's corporate worship. We worship together, my Lord and my God. We, we do that corporately, but there's also a personal aspect of it. My Lord, the word Lord is my master. You know what that says? I'm owned by God. I'm a slave. Paul called himself a slave or a bondservant of Jesus Christ. My life is not my own. He purchased it by the blood. He is my Lord, but he's also my God. They knew exactly who Jesus, Jesus was the son of God. Jesus was God, but first he was Lord. Romans 14, 9 says, for to this end Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living, but he is also my God, Thomas said. Jesus is God. He is the son of God, the second person of the Godhead. John the Baptist, Nathaniel, Peter, many of the disciples all believed that he was the son of God. He was not a mad-made God, not a good prophet, not a good person. He was the word, that the word was God and the word became flesh, John 1, 1 and 1, 14. We believe that Jesus is God. Jehovah Witness do not believe that Jesus is God. The Mormons believe that Jesus and the devil are brothers. That is not doctrinally sound. We have to know what we believe. The word doctrine just means teachings. We believe that Jesus is God. He's the image of the invisible God. That's what we stand on. That's what we believe. 
and that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. This is the reason why they crucified him. That's why they said he was the king of the Jews and he claimed to be the Son of God. But let me tell you, first of all, the knowledge, Thomas came to some knowledge, but theology doesn't change you. Heart confession does. My Lord and my God, something clicked for Thomas. Let me tell you why it clicked. Because he didn't count his life alone. And historically, Thomas ended up going to India to preach the gospel and was martyred for his faith. My Lord and my God. He was willing to lay down. Something happened in that moment. He said, my life is not my own anymore. It's yours. You own it. That's where the change came. But when we love this world more than we love his world, he's not, we're not owned by him yet. But biblical faith, biblical faith is believing without seeing. We see that in 29. Look at this. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not yet seen and have believed. Now, we read that and we feel like, well, it's kind of like, feels like that's a negative statement. Thomas, you didn't get it right, but those who really believe without me got it right. That's not what he's saying here. He's actually affirming Thomas' belief. He's not decrediting his belief, right? Thomas, you must believe to see, he's saying. But Thomas needed to see Jesus. Why? Because that was one of the qualifications in order to be an apostle. They needed to see the resurrected Jesus. Every one of them needed to see the resurrected Jesus in order to qualify as an apostle. That was one of the requirements. I find it very interesting because Jesus, after his, death, after his resurrection, appeared for 40 days. His beginning of his ministry, he disappeared for 40 days and he was tempted. After his resurrection, he appeared for 40 days and testified about who he was. He's proclaiming that this is who I am. Do you believe? We know that women saw him. We know the disciples saw him. We know over 500 people saw him as he's testifying who he is. 1 John 1, 12, 1 and 2 says this, and this is why John writes this personally in his other epistles, that which was from the beginning. Remember, in the beginning was God, 1, 1 of John. Now he's repeating that in John, 1 John 1, 2. That which is from the beginning, which we heard, they heard Jesus, which we see with our own hands, they eyewitnessed him, which we looked upon, which our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested that we have seen and we bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father, it was manifested to us. We saw him, we touched him, we heard him, we felt him. We're testifying for that, right? It was this experience that they would write about what we read about today. And so then Jesus pronounces blessing of those who believe when they haven't seen. Yes, Thomas, you're blessed, you've seen, but what about us? What about us today? We're not there in that room. This is 225, 2100 years later. What about us today? There's a blessing for us. We are the recipients of the written documents of those who have seen. We are the fruit of that, right? Wasn't that Jesus' prayer in John 17, verse 20? I do not pray for these alone, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their words the writing of their words, as moved by the Holy Spirit. See, we are saved by grace through faith. It is not blind faith. We have historical record of who Jesus, we have a historical faith. Like, I've never seen George Washington. 
I never met him and never shaken his hand, but we have a historical record of who he is. We have documents showing who he is. And so I believe he was real. We have a historical record of who Jesus is. And I believe he is real. But here's the key. Thomas wasn't saved by seeing. He was saved by believing. A lot of people see it, yet they do not believe. So my challenge is this is where John is closing his chapter off. He's drawing you in to believe. The last point here, we're closed briefly. The testimony of John's gospel is to remove doubt about who Jesus is that we might believe, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, right? In fact, in the gospel of John, Jesus performs seven miracles. Yet Jesus' miracles were not a magic show with a sleight of hand, right? But documented events witnessed by many. His, resurrections, his resurrection was the last miracle reported by John and seen by the multitudes, about 500 plus, and the disciples and women. And yet John writes this, the testimony of Jesus' work cannot be contained in a book. Look at verse 30. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. I love this. These are just the highlight reels of the ministry of Jesus. These are just the highlight reels. For those who watch sports, you know what I mean? The highlight reels, like they do a synopsis of a game and they say, let me tell you the highlights of the events of this game. And we get to see the game and we can see the whole picture by these highlight reels. He says, these seven snapshots of these miracles are just highlights, but there were many, many more that the disciples saw that they didn't even write about, right? And he even closes the gospel of John in chapter 21, the very last verse, verse 25. And these are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. He did, even, he did more things we can even imagine or even seen or heard about. But what was the purpose? He even performed miracles before the religious leaders for a purpose. He did miracles to, to unbelieving people. He'd done miracles in the church that many who are struggling with could see that God is real. In fact, Acts 2.22 says, men of Israel talking to the Jews, Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, the man, here it is, attested, if you're taking notes, Acts 2.22, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst. You were eyewitness. In fact, the word attested means, listen, the miracles proved he was, who he was. There were evidence of who he was. He's drawing people in in his writing. I'm coming because the last verse here, is the whole purpose of the gospel of John. If you had to define one verse for the gospel of John, it's the verse 20, 31. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, by believing you may have life in his name. This is the purpose of the gospel. This is the purpose of the good news that you may believe, that you may be persuaded, that you may be confident, that you may be convinced. Some of you have been curious about this Jesus and God is moving you at it. And some of you, right, might be just checking it out. Some of you this morning might even be convinced about who Jesus is. Yeah, I believe that God is, but I think he's moving us to another step. He's calling us to commitment in Jesus. See, we can be curious, convinced, but he's calling us to commitment, to follow him. But I'm going to take a pause here to understand that even the demons believed in him and they were not changed and their destiny has not changed. See, just believing 
doesn't mean you're secure because even the devils. The, I love Spurgeon's quote. He said this, if you meet Jesus and your life is not changed, then maybe your destiny has not changed because salvation and the work of the Spirit is transformational. It changes us. But here's the purpose, right? That you would gain life in Christ. He gave a promise to those who believed, right? He says, I want to give you abundant life on earth and eternal life in heaven. Abundant life on this side of heaven and eternal life on the other side of heaven. That's what he wrote in John 10.10. 10. He says, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. What does that mean? That means that abundant means has to do with quality of life, not time, quality of life. God wants you to give you a quality of life. I've seen havoc in people's lives out there that their life is a sham. It's, it's crazy, chaos, pain, hurt, because they haven't found peace in the storm. But he also gives us eternal life. He wants life on this side, but he also wants life that's eternal. One is for the present, and one is for the future. Because in John 3, 15 and 16, he says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is concerned about us now as much as he's concerned about our future. He's concerned about us, and he's calling us to that place. So as I close this morning, maybe you're having some doubts this, this morning. Here's the first thing I want you to do. We need to acknowledge that we have doubts. <laughs> That's okay. We need to acknowledge that we have doubts. We need to... Maybe even share that with somebody. Share it with somebody you trust. Share it with a brother. Man, I don't know if I buy all this stuff. I'm, this is where I'm struggling. It's okay to share that amongst each other. That people can help you guide that. Here's the second thing. To overcome our doubts, we need to exercise our faith. We need to just do something. In fact, Jesus said in, in I think, Matthew 10. I could be wrong, but it says this. If you obey my commands, I will manifest myself to you. Basically says, if you serve me, you will see me. Sometimes when you just take a faith to say, okay, God, I'm just going to just serve. God's going to show himself to you in your service. And so you got to act. Some of the times you overcome is just putting the things you're hearing into practice and you'll see faith manifested. Here's another thing. We need community to help us along the way, Right? We need the church. We need you to be around the brothers and sisters because we get encouraged by that. There's encouragement in our faith. There's lifting up. We're carrying one another's burdens. We're working through all those things. You need to this. That's why Thomas missed it when the first time when Jesus appeared. He missed the blessing. Don't miss the blessing. And lastly, guys, we need to believe the truth of God's word because the truth will trump over a lie. The truth will trump over a lie. That God is washing you with the truth. He's showing you those things. And when you leave here, you're going to go, wow, I just, Pastor Pete just shared this this week and I'm experiencing it this week because the truth is not something that just dies. It, it, it's living. It's active. It moves. It has its being. And in him, him, we have our move and have our being, the book of access. So as I close and the worship team comes this morning, I want to pray this morning for two things. Number one, if you're having some doubts, I want to just pray for you this morning that we love you and it's okay and it's a safe place to have doubts in this place. It's good to have doubts. God is working that all out in us. It's the first thing I want to pray. Secondly, if you're here and maybe you've never made that commitment to Christ, 
then I just want you to consider that in your heart as we're going to get ready for communion. Because here, where you can call upon the name of Jesus and be saved, that was the purpose of the gospel, to call upon his name. And so I want you to close your eyes as I pray. We're going to pray blessings. If you have some doubts, just raise your hand. I can pray for you. I see you in the back. I see you. I see you. I see hands lift. That's okay. It's a safe place. I see. It's good. God's working. I see it. If you're here that maybe you're saying, you know what? I haven't put my trust in Jesus. I haven't put my life. If you want that, just raise your hand also. I can see that if there's somebody here. I see. I see. I see people raising their hands. I see. Father, I, I come this morning because people are just being honest and authentic. Lord, this is a place where we can be honest and authentic. In. And I pray as they've lifted up their hands and said, Lord, Lord I'm not too sure. <laughs> Help my unbelief. I have some questions. I have some doubts. I, I, I got to work this all out. I have some skepticism. And Lord, I pray that as they're working through that, Father, your spirit is revealing your truth to them through your word, through the fellowship, through the community. I pray your blessings upon them, Lord, that you would just touch them right now, Lord, as they're working through their doubts. Because that's what you do, Lord. You're, you're, you're just, when we're faithless, we're faithful, Lord. You're just working it all out. And I pray for those that said yes to Jesus, Lord, I just want this life, this eternal life, but this abundant life. Lord, as they've called upon your name today, Lord, I pray for their salvation, Lord, that Father, today they're going to come up to one of the pastors and leaders and say, look, I made that commitment. How can I grow? What can I do? How can I walk and learn more? So I pray your Holy Spirit just come in them now, Lord. They, they're coming and say, I confess, Lord. I conf just like Thomas said, my Lord and my God. That's what they're saying this morning. I believe in you. I'm trusting you. I'm, I'm giving my life to you. Father, it starts there. It starts with our belief. Not having all the answers, just by faith. And you said that we had to have faith like a mustard seed. You said we had to have faith like a child. We don't have all the answers. We just got to trust. And now, Father, you're going to meet that faith. You're going to meet that trust today. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.